1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's so good to be here tonight. And uh, just, I, I have appreciated the music and the specials and everything. Brother James, that was good. I hadn't heard that song in a long time. First time I heard that song was probably in the, um, wow, it had to be in the late 60s, early 70s, Bob Persons uh, sang that song. I don't know if anybody remembers that name. He was a, a Bob Jones guy. I forget, but he could, he could sing too. I don't know if he was barrel-chested. Most of his chest had fallen, and it was right, right around here, but he could sing. You know, I was thinking Sunday afternoon we uh, shared uh, out of Joshua 24 how that God's people need to remember God's grace and his work in their life. We're all grace stories, maybe different pages in that story, but all sinners, helpless, lost, hopeless sinners saved by the marvelous grace of God. So in remembering as individuals and collectively as a church, like you guys have seen God's grace here at Choice Hills over the years, and I have where I've been blessed to minister and share God's word, there's a response to that. Joshua shared that response to fear God, be conscious of God, be aware of God, live in the shadow of his cross, be motivated to a holy life because of what he's done for you. You're not trying to get him to love you. You can't. He already has. You can't do anything to get him not to love you. To serve God, which is a worship word. Let your life assign worth to God. You're assigning worth to God when you open your Bible, when you bend your knee, when you show up at church, when you knock on somebody's door, when you invite somebody into your house. You're telling him, them, anybody that sees you, that God's worthy of your life and of your time and of your energy and of your talent. So he said, serve the Lord. Then he said, confess your sin. We're all flesh people. I know the old man's dead. I don't know what you want to call what's left. That's a theological conundrum or whatever. But there, there's something still in me that's prone to wander, as Billy Kelly used to say. Prone to go down the wrong path. And I got to fight that. I've got to crucify that. I got to kill that, mortify that. And that's a daily thing. That's a personal thing. That's a private thing. If that war's not going on, you're losing the battle in the routine of life. Um, this is the way I say it. If you have not confessed an identifiable sin in the last, I, I'll give you a week. I mean, I shouldn't, maybe 24 hours, but I'm trying to be nice. So if you hadn't confessed something identifiable, I'm not talking about, you know, now lay me down to sleep and I've done something today inadvertently. And there was a sacrifice for inadvertent sins, by the way, in the book of Leviticus, just so you'll know, inadvertent should be thought about in our mindset because God don't miss nothing. If nothing's identifiable, either two things are happening. Either you're sinless, and we know that ain't true, or we're just ignoring sin. So confess your sins. Then the last thing, just follow the Lord. He used the word choose. It's a Hebrew word that has the idea of daily choosing. That don't happen like at one altar visit or one salvation experience or whatever. Choosing every day to follow Christ choosing every day to be in that focus. Last night, we looked at and identified what that looks like personally. And my peripheral ministry is never going to be anything more than what my private passion is. And we saw that last night with the Apostle Paul. None of these things move me. The stuff, the persecutions, the difficulties, what I faced in the past, what I faced in the future, and it's not like he liked getting beat up or put in prison. He was just simply saying, I'm not going to allow that to stop me from doing what God's called me to do because my life doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not holding on to my life. I don't cherish my life. I have lost my life. I have surrendered my life. I have given everything to Jesus. 
Because I want to end my life. I want to finish my life. I want to finish my course and my ministry with joy. That's a personal battle in your life, my life, all of our lives. I, I was going through my library. I was telling pastor before. Did I tell you 1 Corinthians 16? Okay. If I didn't, you can turn there now. I've been, we just painted the church, and it's been a while since I've really taken all the books off my shelves and stuff. It's a mess in there. It's still a mess in there. And so I was flipping through some books this afternoon, and you wouldn't believe a book that I found. And it's got to be the providence of God that I came across this one today. One signed by Margaret Stringer, who was here Sunday afternoon and last night. <laughs> but I just read through a couple of chapters this afternoon. A village they were about to visit the next day by helicopter. The tribe that she was about to visit the next day by helicopter had just killed nine people in another village by dismembering them, cutting their arms off, cutting their legs off, cutting their heads off, taking that stuff back to their village, leaving their torsos in the village. Does that not sound like enough to you to keep you off that helicopter? She went. She went the next day by helicopter to that village. Just an illustration. I don't know if I'm at that point. None of these things move me. So, just share that little story. I, I don't know if you can still get this little book. It's the story of one village. I shared with her a story last night about seeing the video. She, she did a lot of linguistic work. She would take their language and put it into scriptures. And she showed me a video one time. I forget. We talked about it last night when she left. And the villagers were just rejoicing. I mean, they were rejoicing. And they were saying things like, the word of God has come because it was going to be in their language. And it was just amazing to see. All right, 1 Corinthians 16. Tonight, what I want to do is go through this entire chapter. So we're not, really not the entire chapter, maybe down to verse, uh, verse 18, verse 19. So we're not going to be able to do like an exposition of this passage, just an overview. But what I want to look tonight, again, in the life of the Apostle Paul, but I guess we could just say a, a day in the life of the Apostle Paul. What a servant's life looks like or should look like? What are elements of a servant's life? Somebody that's really responding to what God did in their life. If you go back to the previous chapter, in the 15th chapter is like in the heavenlies. I mean, it's like talking about incorruptible bodies and all that kind of stuff, but that's future. So in 16, it gets back down to the planet and back down to the mess of life. And we're still in the mess of life Right now. So before he bridges into the mess again in 16.1, he tells them in 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Now, maybe what he just told them could be like a motivating factor. That's yours in heaven. You know, that, that, that's yours. It's, it's settled and incorruptible bodies and being with Jesus and looking like Jesus and no more sin. They should motivate us. One to be steadfast. One to be unmovable. But the, the, the phrase I want us to look at is always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain, which, which would be a reminder of what Jesus told us all, that, that, that we can lay up treasure in heaven, right? That, that is in the Bible. I mean, I've got a 401k, and I mean, we're, we're trying to make plans for the future. We, I think I shared a little bit about that about Sunday. But, but I don't know that we sometimes think enough about laying up, what, what's my treasure plan for heaven? I mean, what things am I thinking about, what, what I'm investing in, in eternal things? But again, just a reminder of verse 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For a lot of people, abounding in the work of the Lord is they're faithful to church. And I'm thankful people are faithful to church, but that's, that's pretty easy. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night. I mean, just figure out the hours and just figure out how much that is in a year. That ain't that much. I mean, they, this, I mean I'm, not, I'm not trying to discount it, so don't take me wrong here. But I'm just saying there's a whole lot of time 
in my life. And what he's reminding them of is this, this spiritual, eternal focus of your life is to be the abounding thing. I mentioned it whenever it was, Sunday or Monday, football started back, and people just go crazy for all kinds of sports. And I love sports, and I'm not against sports. I'm a Tar Heel. We beat the Gamecocks, so we'll be. Whatever. You come in my office, and you'll know I'm a Tar Heel fan. But, but that's just like a, that's a blip on the radar of my life. But for some people, that, I mean, they're abounding in that. I mean, they'll get there early and stay late. But if the preacher goes a little bit longer, they, you know, doing this mess. You know, like, man, when's this going to be over? And I know preachers preach too long sometimes, so don't get me all been out of shape about that either. But what he's reminding them of, the eternal things, is the stuff we ought to go overboard on. The stuff we ought to just look almost like fanatics about ought to be the eternal. One of the ladies had listened to a message or something, and she had mentioned what kind of gun. I had an old L.C. Smith. Man, I like guns, too. You know, and I'll probably keep that gun till we're all dead in the devil's crowd to get it when Jesus comes. You know, I could probably sell it and do a whole lot more with it. We got all got heirlooms just, just stacked away for our, for our generations to come. And we all know Jesus is coming and we leaving every bit of that mess. And I'm again, I'm not saying that you need to sell it all and invest it all in missions. I'm not saying that'd be a bad thing. But I'm just saying it's a lot more easy for me to live for the temporal than it is the eternal. That's why he's saying you need to be abounding in the eternal. So when we step over into chapter 16, we look into verse 1, we have just basic things that Paul would have done in a normal routine of his life. So the first 12 verses, here's my little outline. My outlines are not, there ain't much to them. First 12 verses, here it is ministry plans, and we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about money, we're going to talk about travel, and we're going to talk about people. I mentioned it the other night when we were at Acts 20, and we just kind of went through 17 to 38, that little context about him meeting with those preacher guys and sharing this, this intimate passion that he has of, you know, I'm not going to be moved and deterred by this because I've, I've given my life over to Jesus because I just want to finish one day my course and my ministry with joy. That, that's what's driving me, boys. They were, they were younger preachers, and he said, if you want to know what my secret is, this is my secret. I've lost my life and gave it away, and nothing's going to keep me from doing it because I want to end up faithful to my God. So guys, if you're working for a nice house or a nice car or whatever else, then you're probably going to get discouraged and, and just probably throw in the towel at some point. So again, he's just reminding them. But if you go back into Acts 20, in the first few verses, you meet people that we don't even know who they are. Sopater. S-O-P-A-T-E-A or T-A-R. I don't know who that guy is. Paul knew him though. So we'll talk about people. So let's get into these verses. Verses one through four is the money plan. So all we're talking about is ministry plans. And I'll go ahead and ask you a question. I'm going to ask this question again. What are your ministry plans? And I'm not talking about what you do at Choice Hill Baptist Church. Because again, that's easy. I mean, come on, y'all already look at preachers sometimes. We only work two days a week. Four hours, maybe. That's all we work. So if all you do is on Sunday, if that's it, so I just want you to ponder what ministry are you involved in and do not negate or segregate Paul as a missionary, church planner, top five in the New Testament. Everybody in this room is called to ministry. And my ministry is that the gospel of Jesus would be seen in my life. I told you the most impact in my life was my mama. Because she knew what the gospel was doing in her life and I saw it in her life and at some point I wanted some of that. Y'all get to do that every day. Co-workers, neighbors. And is it messy? Yes, it's messy. We're going to talk about people in a minute. Will you get hurt? Yes. Will you get offended? Yes. Will you get discouraged? Yes. 
But it doesn't mean you're still not supposed to do it. And if you can ever get over yourself, you will be able to. So, ministry plans. First four verses. Let's read through them. I'll give you a little bit of just the, just the context of it, and then we're just going to talk about money. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So he, Paul, is raising money for the Jerusalem church, which was mostly Jewish. And so he's going all over Asia Minor to the churches he's already started, and they're all Gentile churches, and he's asking them for money so he can take a love offering back to the Jewish church. So he, Paul, is concerned for a bunch of believers, mostly Jews, that are hurting financially, and he's talking to these Gentile churches, and he's making this collection, and so now he's just telling them in Corinth, I'd like to get some money from you as well. So upon the first day of the week, when you guys gather for church, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. So they were giving normally, regularly when they would gather. And so he's saying, what I'd like for you to do is keep giving to the church what you're giving, but then I want you to maybe take a little extra and put it by so that when I come by, you can give me a little bit of money for a love offering so we can take it to the Jewish church. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet or profitable that I go also, they shall go with me. And he's simply saying there, if you want some guys to go with the offering with me, that's no problem. The accountability of it. We got money counting count the church at our church. It's usually two or three people just for the accountability. That's all he's saying. If you want me to go, I'll go. So again, here you got a Paul, a missionary, Who's poor as dirt? Poor as dirt. He lives off of whoever sends him money. The only one church I know of that sent him any regular support, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have missions, agencies, and all that. I'm just saying he just got whatever he got whenever he got it. The church at Philippi was pretty regular, but even they had their issues. So again, he's not flowing in money. He's not traveling in style. Listen, tonight I came to this church traveling in style. Amen. I ain't suffered a stinking day in my life. Now I've had some junky cars. I had no 70-something Monte Carlo. I had to pull the door up. Remember them long doors? And then it'd sag on you after a while. I'd have to pull that thing up to shut it. It's embarrassing when you ride around as a preacher and you have to pull the car door up to shut it. Embarrassing. Like I said, if you can ever get over yourself, you, you might end up doing something for the Lord. When I was in Bible college, they gave me a car. It was a Ford Tempo. You remember those? They didn't last long because they were junk when they came out and they just got rid of them. It's like an Edison, whatever that was. Edison, whatever it was. The back seat or the front seat was broken, so behind my seat was two two-by-fours to keep it from going all the way to the back. If they ever fell down, I went all the way to the back. So I know we've maybe had a little bit of sacrifice in our life, but we have never lived like they lived. Can I remind you? <clears throat> these Gentile churches that he's asking for money to help these other people that need money, they're poor too. When I was fumbling through my closet, I have, because our kids are married and gone, so one of the bedrooms in, in, our, in our house on the right is, my, is a study that I have at the house, and I have one at the church too, but I have like a closet. It's not like a big walk-in closet, but I can get in there. But once I'm in there, you know, nobody else is getting in there. But I got my stuff in there. Pastor, I got, I got plenty of suits. I got, I got rows of white shirts and rows of blues, and they're all together because I'm a weirdo about stuff like that. The white ones are there and the blue ones are there. And I got ties everywhere. What I've read of church history, most of these people had one nice outfit for the year. And he's asking them for money. Let me ask you, where are you at when it comes to your money? What intentional plans 
Paul's thinking, this church is hurting. These churches are hurting, but it'd show a great move of grace if this church, Gentiles, would help this church, Jew, to remind them both that we're saved under the gospel, saved in the grace. And that love between will bond them. He's teaching them to give even if you ain't got. You know, I learned giving from my mom and dad just because they were faithful givers. But I'll tell you one of the greatest lessons I ever learned from my dad. And again, remember, we're talking about people just living out the gospel at home, living out the gospel in normal life in that coarse part that we talked about last night from the Apostle Paul, just in the natural ideas of my life. My daddy wasn't teaching me a Sunday school lesson. He was shaving in the bathroom. I won't tell you what he had on. It was early in the morning. And he's working on shaving. My daddy had a mustache. That's why I've always worn facial hair. I used to shave my upper lip upside this way just because he said it would make it grow. I still think he was lying to me. So he's shaving and I'm messing with his billfold. I think it was a Saturday morning. He, he worked. He worked at Thomas McAfee funeral home, 30 something years. So he's shaving, getting ready for work. And I'm fumbling through his billfold. And I come to his license. And I was probably going to look again at that mustache. Just thinking, well, I want a mustache so bad. M might have been 10. And when I pulled the driver's license out, a $100 bill popped out. And when I unfolded them, man, there was two there. And so I finally got my dad's attention. I said, Dad, what is this money? Of course, he said, what are you doing to my bill, though? I said, what, what is this money? He sat on the edge of the bed. Listen, God thing's about to happen at my house. I ain't but nine, 10 years old. God's about to do something that will change the trajectory of my life forever. That's why you always gotta be in tune. I'm in a path. I'm on a course. I do stuff for the gospel. Nothing's insignificant. This is a Saturday morning. Man getting ready to go to Thomas McAfee's, sat on the edge of the bed, and he said, son, we take $20 out of your mama's check and $20 out of your daddy's check, mine, every month, and we put it back and we give it away. First thing I thought was give me some. You know, it's a toy I've been needing. He said, so when a missionary comes to Camp Creek Church and they need something, me and your mama's always got money. If somebody gets burned out at work and I hear about it, we always got money. He planned on giving money away. I never got over that. And we do it to this day. You know what I like about it? They ain't no records, Adam. I mean, there's a lady at our church, my financial secretary, and a couple of counters. They know what I give. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't check that stuff. Some pastors do. They can do whatever they want to. I don't, I don't think my flesh can handle it, so I just, I just stay out of that. But what me and Wanda do with that stuff is just me and her and the Lord. We, we paid some uh, Bible college student stuff. It's some of the most fun I've ever had. How are you planning on spending your money? How you plan on using? Can I just remind you of something? I don't know if you give 10%, 15%, or 20. 10% to me is just the first step, baby step, whatever you want to call it. That's just to get in the door. But that other 90% is his too. He owns all of me. Everything I got gets filtered through, navigated through his system of thought, his ideals, his philosophy. All of these people were poor. They could look at Paul and say, look, you know what kind of car I've got. You know what my house looks like. And you're asking me for money? Hey, plan on giving. No, I'm not talking about just giving at church. I'm just talking about giving. I'm not necessarily talking about giving money. We lived in Anderson. When I was at Oakwood in Anderson, we lived in a house that uh, the lady owned, the house she lived in, our house, and another little house behind it. Miss Williams, sweet little old lady. 
she was a shut-in at Oakwood, where we were at. And so I told her girls one time, I said, here's what we're going to do, girls. I said, Wanda, your mom's going to clean the house, and I'm going to cut the grass, you know, pick up sticks, whatever. Y'all can help me do that. I tried to be like a handyman, but I'm just telling you, you don't want me as a handyman. I'll break everything you got. It costs you way more just to pay somebody to fix it. I'm no handyman. So I couldn't do that, but I cut the grass, we cleaned the house, and we just did it for her. It was one of the hardest things we ever did, did to get her not to give us money. But I want, her, I want our girls to know God's been so overboard good to us. Amen. And we can't just not do something for people. Make it random. Ask God for um, people in your life that, just, that, that need somebody to be there. He was reminding them, you need to be planning on giving. You need to be planning on money and how you spend it and how you give it. I mentioned to you the other night, we just celebrated 45 years, praise the Lord. I remembered it two days, big deal, uh, two days ago. And we did, we spent an exorbitant amount of money. And she, she's the money pincher over there. She didn't even ask me, you know, how much it cost. It was awful. But I felt like she was worth it, and I felt like we was going to splurge a little bit. We, 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 have, we, we do vacations. We, we spend some money. It, it, it's planned. Amen. What you plan on giving to missions this year? Why don't you plan on picking on a missionary? And just say, God, if you'll give me a few more jobs or if you'll give me, I'll give some money to that missionary that's been needing a steeple or needing some HVAC work. They're planning on ministry. We all say stuff about, you know, the stuff down here don't mean that much, but that's where we put all our energy. That's where we put all our money. That's where we put all our passion. That's where we make all our plans. Paul's normal routine. And again, he had nothing. But he's the man collecting the money for somebody else that ain't got nothing either. So money plans, we got to hurry. Five to nine. Five to nine. That's money plans or money ideas. And the next one, I'm just going to call it travel plans. Travel plans. And I love the way this reads because it just reads like, Mass confusion. He don't know what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, when he's going to get there, and how he's going to make it. I could not live that way. Man, I, I, I live in it. I'm a daytimer. I don't have, I have a daytimer. I have stuff in my phone. I ain't got nothing in my I use my phone to call people. I'm a dinosaur. I don't use an iPad. I don't use a computer. Just, you know, and don't tell me I need to because it ain't happening. Too old to change. I couldn't live like this. Just listen to it. Now, I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. Now, that's a little phrase that simply means I might need a little money to help me get to the next spot. So there's money again just in those verses. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus unto Pentecost. And here's the reason. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries. Travel plans. Now, now like I said, I, I came over here tonight, piece of cake. But the biggest thing we're going to face is traffic or Somebody get on 183, it's driving 40 miles an hour or whatever. I mean, we, we don't have much issues. I mean, I, I got my Bible, you know, got a few notes here, you know. I, it was no big deal for me to come over here tonight. I don't know anything I've done. I mean, I, I could tell you some stories of inconvenience, discomfort, that bus ride to Montana when we went several years ago and the bus's air didn't work and we sweat, bless our hearts, we sweat. Air didn't work right. The gears were, you couldn't sleep at night because the gears, we could, we could whine about that, I guess. Every time they, you'd get about dozed off, and it'd be, 
It was a long trip. Every trip Paul went on, it was dangerous. Every trip Paul went on, he had to cart all that mess with him that he was writing and working on. He wasn't setting, you know, a little computer and sending it to his editor. It was all hard. It was all uncomfortable. There was enough in it to just say, I just think I'll stay here a while. Every boat ride could be your last. All I'm saying, he made travel plans when it was absolutely uncomfortable, when it was absolutely dangerous, and he didn't have money to travel. He wasn't eating nice stuff. I mean, sometimes when we travel, just because we don't like to stop, we'll take peanut butter and make peanut butter sandwiches. We look like little poor people eating on the side of the road. Of course, that's the way you traveled back in the 60s, right? Some of y'all remember how you traveled in the 60s? We never stopped no restaurant. We'd stop at a restaurant and mom would make sandwiches. That was normal back then. Now if you're doing that, people think you're poor. Right? But I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know what he was eating. All I'm saying, in when he traveled, he wasn't traveling like you do and like I do. But he still was making the plans. Why? Because his life was not dear. Christ was. The gospel was. Souls were. So nothing's stopping me. Nothing's stopping me. I'm going. Look in verse number nine where he stayed a while in Ephesus. Great door effects was opened unto me, but many adversaries. So it wasn't easy. It was difficult. I don't know if y'all have ever read through the story, and it's just a blip on the radar in the text where he used the school of one Tyrannus for like a couple years where he would meet there. Now, that's kind of all it says. Then if you do some study behind the school and you get kind it, it of, was, it was a school and they didn't have air conditioning. So the school would meet early in the morning, late in the evening. So most believe that Paul went there when nobody would want to come. <laughs> and for two years, he sat in a school in the hot, sweating bullets, <laughs> and just waited to see if he might come. And there's a little phrase in there, Pastor, that says the whole region around heard the gospel. Because I believe if you'll make some travel plans, God will send you a eunuch. God will send you somebody looking for some grace, looking for some gospel, looking for some truth. And you might not ever know the impact of your little travel plan till you get to heaven. But who cares? We ain't doing it to get some kind of great preacher mantra thrown over us because there's none of us great. But if we can get to heaven one day, I remember we went to an apartment down at Oakwood. We were, a couple had come to us. Jennifer was her name and her husband. They were really burdened about their sister. I think it was their sister, some family member. So we went to see them. And while we were there, there was another couple there. And I was kind of irritated. You know, what do you got these people here for? You know, they, they might be buttoning in. They might be saying a bunch of stuff. I'm over here trying to present the gospel. What do you got these people here for? So I'm like zeroing in on this couple over here. These couple over here, as far as I'm concerned, they don't even exist. That's how great a preacher you have in front of you tonight. So I'm talking to these people. Here's, here's my, fam, my, my couple over here. We're talking to them. And they were just like, I, I, I might as well have been talking about physics. That other couple followed us to the car. What's your travel plans? Who you plan on visiting? When's the last time you looked at your neighborhood? 
When the last time you, you, you got up early on a Sunday morning and uh, maybe told your preacher, maybe told your preacher, I, I might miss Sunday school this next Sunday morning because I'm going to find out in who my neighborhood, they don't go Sunday school. I'm going to find out what kids ain't going. And we're going to try to reach out to them. Might just have a Bible study in our backyard. But we're going to find out who ain't going because I want a plan to reach my little area for the gospel. You were talking about comfort zones earlier, and I agree. If your comfort zone is Jesus, you can go anywhere you want to. You're in comfort. It's uncomfortable for me to still knock on doors, and I've been doing it for a long time. I might still knock on doors. I hope they ain't home, hope they ain't home, hope they ain't home. What are your travel plans? Number three, we've got to hurry. We got to hurry. No, I got to hurry. Y'all not doing anything but listening. I'm the one who needs to hurry up. Look in verses 10 through 12. Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I do, I also do, that no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me. That also is probably an idea of you might want to slip him a five too to help him on his way, that he may come or conduct him, like, like help him travel to me. For I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. You introduced two people, people in his life. Timotheus came along shortly after the episode where he just got beat to death or he did get beat to death and came back to life. And you, you almost wonder a mother or a grandmother says, sure, go hang around with Paul. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even imagine that. Most mothers say, you ain't getting anywhere near the apostle Paul. Last time he came into town, they killed him. So you ain't going nowhere. So that Spoke for Lois and Eunice, for sure. And he's telling them just basic stuff here. He says, look, when he comes, make sure he comes without fear. That means just don't mistreat him. Don't ignore him because he's a young guy. Don't despise him. Don't intimidate him. Make sure when he leaves, like it says, conduct him forth in peace. Make sure that when he leaves, he almost wants to stay. Don't make him leave thinking, thank God I'm going, Right? And then he mentions Apollos, and he says, Apollos, I really wanted him to come, but he didn't want to come, and he was was fluid with that relationship. I just want to remind you again in 10, 11, and 12, and maybe we'll talk more about this tomorrow night, people were part of Paul's life. Paul and Timothy did years together, years of traveling. I don't know know what family life they had. I don't know. I I can't speak to that. I just know that Paul was surrounded by people that he had invested in and they in turn invested in him. And that's what we've got to be as believers, investing in the lives of others. And it is messy and it is hurtful and it is offensive and it is problematic. It's all of those. I mentioned the Bible study we had at our house. It was messy in reality ways. The kid I had lunch with the other day who's 44, was that not the messiest kid you ever seen in your life? I mean, he just, he just as he walked around, stuff just fell off of him. I mean, it was just, he was just messy all the time. But man, I'm so glad we had him in our house. So what I'm asking you guys to think about is what people can, can you invite into your life? And again, I'm not talking about going to church. Listen, most people that go to church with, with it don't even know each other. They don't. And sometimes it's because they don't want to or they got hurt or they shared something and they, that's going to happen. But you cannot go back to isolation. We are meant to be community. So you got to have people in your life. You need them, they need us. You got to have people in your life. It's always going to be difficult. Why? Because we're sinners saved by grace. We're not sinners made perfect. On planet Earth. Just not there yet. We need people in our life. I, I, I'll tell you one more quick story. I shouldn't. John just, just joined our church. And we got people in our church that, you know, they, they don't get to know people either. 
They just come sit in their, their, their same place. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a Wednesday night and there's less people, they will sit five miles from the pulpit because that's their place. And I mean, the pew will break off if they was to sit someplace else or whatever. The world would cease to rotate on its axis. Something would happen, I guess. So John, a few people around John have gotten to know John. And so I was preaching a couple of years ago at a, at a, a camp meeting a few nights and one of the things that, that, that I've tried to live by is I never go nowhere by myself, and I'd rather be by myself. I'd rather not have anybody to talk to. I don't like to talk. You wouldn't think that, but I don't. When I'm by myself, I'd just rather just be by myself. You know, If I'm on a plane with somebody, and I'm not saying this is good stuff. If I'm on a plane with somebody or whatever, I'm just hoping they don't say nothing to me. Just believe me. And that is awful. That's awful. So I'm just going to put that out there. So I'm kind of making myself do this stuff. So I try not to go anywhere by myself. So I told John, I hadn't gotten to know him real well. And I said, John, I want you to go with me to, to a camp meeting. We had the greatest time. But on the way back, I said, John, tell me a story. He said, I never knew my mama. He said, I never knew my daddy. He said, I grew up in an orphanage. He said, I met my sister when I was 12. Then my aunt died, then my grandmother died. And I mean, it just went on and on. You need to know the people in the community of faith because God gathers the people together. We're not a disconnected thing. Now, I know we're local churches, and it would probably be better if there was like one church in Greenville, but that ain't going to happen, or one church like it was in Thessalonica, but that ain't going to happen because we just can't seem to get along in the body of Christ sometimes. But with that being said, we are not disconnected people. We are connected. If you believe that, that means you're here for a reason in this body of Christ, this local assembly. That means there are people in here that have like the hole that you have, they got the thing that'll it. The hurt that you have, they have a story that'll help heal the hurt. That's what Corinthians tells me about Paul. That as you comfort others, you get comforted. You can't do that unless you open up your life. You can't do that unless you tell your story. You don't have to tell it all. I probably told you too much Sunday about me. You don't want to know my whole story. You might not ever invite me back. But I'm a story of grace. I ain't a story of some perfect preacher. But you need people in your life. All right, I'm going to do the rest of this quick, real quick. Look in verse 13 and verse 14. I promise this will be quick. Those are the ministry plans. 13 and 14... Is he just talks to the church. And he talks to them in five things. And we'll do it really quick. Number one, watch ye. Stay awake. Stay conscious. Stay spiritually, eternally awake. Don't go to sleep spiritually. That is so easy to do. If there's one thing that's repeated over and over and over and over in the New Testament, it's that idea the idea of being sober-minded. So stay awake spiritually. Number two, stand fast in the faith. Anytime you see that direct article, the, in front of faith, it means this, all of this, stand in it. Know your Bible. Can I tell you something? That's not the academics of it. Know your Bible as you obey your Bible. You don't know God from the pages of a book. You know God crossing Red Seas and seeing him be faithful and seeing him convict of sin, see him redeem the lost and see him do stuff like you read in a book like this as you walk it out. Don't just know it. Happy are ye, Jesus said in John 13, are ye if you do them. Quit you like men. That simply means grow up. You know who's in charge of their spiritual growth? You are. 
Should you go to church and get help? Yes. Should you listen to people that are mentoring and discipling and have authority? Yes, 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 yes. But at the end of the day, I ain't, I ain't going to hang out with everybody I'm discipling 24-7. That ain't going to happen. I ain't going to be the voice in your ear. I can't, I can't do that for my wife, and, and we're together a lot. I can't do that for my girls, and I love them immensely. I had my grandson today. I would love to just follow him around at school and say, mm, no, 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 yes, 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 yes. I can't do that. But you can invite one into your life that will. You see, I want my grandson to know my God, not my God through the conduit of his granddaddy. I want him to know God face to face, firsthand. I want to know the smell of him, the taste of him. I want him to taste him, find out that he is as good as he says he will be. Grow up, grow your faith. Be strong, that means endure. Don't give up, don't give in. Stay at it. It's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard. And like I said before, we got it easy. We got it easy. I'll get in my car tonight, probably go by QT, get me a Diet Mountain Dew, and I'll be at the house in 30 minutes. Whoa, boy, what a sacrifice. I'll be, I won't get home till 9.30 tonight. So I'm just saying, we, we don't endure a whole lot, but what we do, we need to endure. I love verse 14, let all your things be done with charity. All your things, which simply means all these things you get involved in, they could be really messy and hurtful and offensive and discouraging and all of the above. It's just remember God loves you and you're a mess and he's never kicked you to the curb and he's never said, I, I, I just can't keep my covenant with you. Just love people like God, God's loved you. That don't mean overlook their sin. That don't mean condone their sin. That just means be laced with mercy. If you read the Psalms and David was a mess, man, he constantly stood on the threshold in God's presence mercy. Treat people that way. In your efforts, love them. Love them like Christ loved them. Sometimes it's sticky. It's sticky. Now, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And again, I'm going to do it really quick. And I've been up here too long already. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus. So now he's going to pick out a family. So he went from talking to the church collectively, he's going to pull out an individual family and kind of give a little, little, little exhortation or admonition to the church family. You know the house of Stephanus, first fruits of Achaia. Some people got saved over in Achaia, those Gentile people. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Addicted is a word that simply means self-appointed. Nobody has to ask them. They don't have to see their name in the bulletin. Oh, yeah, I got nursery. Thursday night, I got, I, I'm on, it's, it's, it's my visitation team, next Saturday, 8 to 10. They, they don't need a bulletin. They don't need a reminder. They, they are just, they're just, that, they're in. They're in. That you submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. You know what he's telling the people? Hang out with them people. Hang out with them people. Bud Brown. Was it Oakwood? Bud Brown was, I, I didn't really know him, but Oakwood was a pretty good-sized church, so it's kind of hard to get to know everybody. On a Sunday morning, there'd be 700, 800 people there, so, I mean, it's hard to get to know everybody. Bud sat at the back underneath the balcony, and um, I, I knew that he would go to the, like, on the corner of 28 Bypass, and I think 29 that comes across. There was a Hardee's and something else there, and, and the bus line from Atlanta to Charlotte would stop at that Hardee's and they'd have like a break, a biscuit or whatever. And Bud would be there to pass out tracks. And I just gotten to know Bud over the years. Just, just, a, just a fine man with a gospel initiative, a gospel ministry plan. Bud's name wasn't in our, in our bulletin. Bud will be at Hardee's every Saturday morning. He, this was just his thing, his ministry. We got in a bad accident. I mean, he's laid up, hands and legs all over the place and stuff. I hit by a car. And he's like in his 70s. And I'm thinking, you know, he, he probably never do that again. I'm sitting in my office one day and I'm just thinking, I wonder if Bud's over at Hardy's. 
So I left Oakwood and worked my way over the cross parking lot, worked my way around, and I would come around the corner, and here he was, this old man <laughs> with his walker and kind of leaning over that walker, pushing him tracks out. That spoke to me. What he's saying, there's people that are out there serving God. Hang out with them. Go over to their house. Join them. One of the things that she writes about in this book over and over and over is the fellowship that she had with the people that did this stuff with her. The helicopter driver. The, the, the guy that drove the paint plane that could land on the river because they had to be evacuated sometimes because they were planning to kill them. None of these things moved me. They were important to their life. They were important to the gospel. We need those kind of stories. That's what he's saying. This family, connect with them. Verse 17, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus, Fortinaeus, Achaeus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. They supplied me. But listen to verse 18, and I'm done, I promise. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. Two things, he said. They have refreshed my spirit. So here's some people that have come to see Paul, talk to Paul, share with Paul, encourage Paul, and it's refreshed Paul. Paul was down. Paul was empty. Paul was languishing. Paul was needy. And these Christians, unnamed, not, not, not top shelf, you know, top five in the New Testament. No, just, just, just some believers in a church that refreshed him. Notice, and it refreshed you as they helped him, then he helped them. It was like, where are you in the mix of that? I'll promise you on any given Sunday, there's people in this church right here that's hurting. Talk to them. Amen. Invite them out to lunch. Bear ye one another's burdens. If you don't know them, you can't tote them. Amen. And there's people that need you. Right? All right, heads are bad. I've been gone too long, Pastor. You can 